0: Together to Acts chapter 17, reading from verse 22, and that's on page 1113 of the Pew Bibles. Acts 17, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now for what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Thanks be to God for this reading of his word.
1: Thanks again, student team, for ably leading us. We're very excited to have uh, students in our congregation, to have people from all over the world uh, to be with us for their time here at, uh, in their studies. And our hope really is that uh, your involvement in this church would equip you and encourage you and send you out with the gospel with greater clarity and ready to serve wherever the Lord uh, puts you. Well, let's pray as we come to his word. Father, we thank you that we know you truly, the God who made the heavens and the earth. And we thank you that you're not far from any one of us. In fact, every breath, every heartbeat is ordained by you. And so we ask that you would give us greater clarity as we think about this gospel. We think about the truth of your word. Please use it to shape our minds so that we would not be conformed to the world, but we would be transformed and renewed to live for you we ask this in Christ's precious name Amen as humans we love stories Uh, we tell stories to our children as we get older uh, we buy books and uh, of all the books we read we love stories I read books that are technical books and I can put them down pick up a John Grisham I can't put it down because I love the story we all love stories don't we and the truth is, as we look at our lives, most of us try and make sense of our lives by putting it into a type of story. Where we came from, where we hope we're heading. Our life is a story. Uh, there was a movie that, I'm not sure he made it in Britain, but it was a, it starred Will Farrell. It was called Stranger Than Fiction. And uh, the character that Will Farrell played, as he's brushing his teeth, he's hearing a narrator speaking. Over his actions will went to the bathroom and brushed his teeth and and as he goes around he keeps hearing this narrator's voice and it dawns on him that his life is a story and uh, so he the thing he needs to work out is what sort of story is it is it a comedy with a happy ending or is it a tragedy I think that's what we're all trying to work out about our lives isn't it is it gonna be a comedy Is it going to be a tragedy? Now the point is that we will never properly understand our individual lives until we've understood it into the context of the big story. God's big story. A story that starts in creation. That will go through uh, until this world is wrapped up and enters into a new heavens and a new earth that will stretch on into eternity. And the Bible... uh, Tells us this story from creation to new creation. And in fact, it swallows up each one of our histories, for it tells us not only where we came from, but it tells us where the end of all things and our lives are caught up into this grand big story. And so, my contention for you today, uh, this evening, is that you will never really understand the story of your life until you've fitted it into the big story, God's big story, the story that we find in the Bible. Now, in the morning, uh, we are working through the book of Philippians and looking at this key concept of gospel partnership. What does it mean to be uh, partners in the spread of the gospel? Now, I thought all this talk of gospel, gospel, gospel in the morning, what would really help us in the evening is to review what the gospel is, to understand what the gospel is, so that it doesn't just become a word, but that we have content in it and we uh, understand it more fully. There's a great little tool that I've found helpful over the years called Two Ways to Live. It's just a gospel outline. There's lots of good gospel outlines out there, but this is a particular tool that I've found very helpful. And um, I'm going to rattle through it in, in skeleton form tonight and uh, tell you why in a moment. Um, don't try and take notes. You will, you, I mean, if you're, if you're the person who has to get all the notes down or you get very frustrated, you're going to be very frustrated, so don't try. Just just, take, just feel, a, feel that burden come off you. Just feel that now. <laughs> Let your tongue drop. Because oh. what I'm going to give you, go to the next slide, is uh, some websites where you can actually get uh, this tool and download it for free. MatthiasMedia.com. Uh, it's a tool that was written by Philip Jensen and Tony Payne. Or you can go to my blog and uh, I've linked to it. There, if you want to kind of have this in embryo form, and hopefully we'll, we'll use this, we'll buy this tool and have it down in the bookstore that you can uh, purchase for, your, for yourself. So let me just in summary form, just quickly go through the key elements of the gospel. First of all, creation. And that's what we're going to focus in on tonight: creation. And the, the message of the Bible is that God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. And He made us rulers of the world under Him. And it's many places we're going to see in a moment where the Bible says this. Here's one very key place, Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But as we read on in the Bible, obviously things change. Sin comes in. How do we understand sin? Well, sin is essentially that we all reject the ruler of God by trying to run life our own way without Him. Uh, That's the essence of sin. It is rebellion against God's rule. But the problem with that is that we're not very good at ruling ourselves or society or the world around us. In Romans 3, verse 10 to 12, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There's the uh, summary statement of the Bible. All have turned away from God. Now, what will God do about this rebellion? Well, the next box on judgment tells us God will not let rebels continue in that way forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Ultimately, God will be shown to be God. It says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, man is destined to die. We all know that, but this is what the verse tells us. Man is destined to die, and after that, to face judgment. There is judgment beyond death, and accountability for our lives. Now, God's justice sounds very hard, but because of His love, next slide, uh, God has sent His Son into the world, the man, Jesus Christ. If you read through the, the Gospel accounts, you'll see that Jesus always lived under God's rule. And yet, by dying in our place, He took our punishment and brought forgiveness. In 1 uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. But that 's not all, of course, on Easter weekend, we have a good Friday, we remember his death, and then we look forward to Easter Sunday where we remember the resurrection, that God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world, that Jesus has conquered death, now gives new life, and will return to judge says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So well, where does that leave us? Well, the, the, the story of the gospel, of the Bible, leaves us with a challenge. There's basically only two ways to live. There's our way, which is to reject the ruler of God and try to run life our own way without him. And the result of that is that we are condemned by God and facing death and judgment. Or there's God's new way, which is to submit to Jesus as our ruler, rely on Jesus' death and resurrection, and the result of living that way is that we're forgiven by God and given eternal life. And John chapter 3, verse 36, puts this, uh, these two ways very starkly before us. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There, in a nutshell, is the gospel. When I'm talking about the gospel, that's what I'm talking about. I mean that. I think that's what the Bible is talking about when we mean the gospel. And over the next seven uh, Sunday evening sessions, what we're going to do is going to look at the theology of each of these boxes to understand the logic of the gospel. And I'm greatly indebted to Tony Payne, Uh, and the talks that you can listen to if you get the training manual. As I say, we'll buy it, and you can listen to it direct with an Aussie accent. The next two weeks, we're just going to focus on this first box, and uh, the Bible's teaching on creation. I am not going to give a kind of systematic exposition of Acts 17. I look forward to doing that some other day. What I want to do today is give more of a, um, a talk than a sermon, and survey the biblical material with you. And try and press home the logic of the gospel. And tonight we're going to think about this aspect of God being the creator. And next week we're going to look at what it means for man to be the created. Well, to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message of the Bible, we have to start with God. Now, we live in a time, don't we? A very multicultural society with so many different concepts of God or gods or no God. And so when we speak to people about the, the good news of Jesus, I think we have to start at this base foundational level and talk about what we mean when we say God. And the most foundational and, uh, and defining truth about God in the Bible is that God is the creator of all that exists. And because he made it, he has the right to rule over it. That's the logic of the of the first part of this outline. Now this, this is taught all through scriptures, isn't it? I mean, an elementary Sunday school education will give you unlimited lists of uh, verses here. Think about Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the, the prime statement that we have to grapple with as we think about life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, if you read through the book of Job and get to the end, Job gets a master class lesson on how God is different to man. And the fundamental thing that God is teaching Job at the end of Job is that God, that he is the creator. He says to Job, where were you, Job 38, 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. And this idea is all through the book of Psalms. Think about Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Words were spoken and everything came into existence. 33 verse 9 says this, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Or Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born, or or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting You are God. Before there was anything, there was God. God spoke, and everything that we know that uh, exists, exists because God made it. And he creates in detail, the scripture says, right down to the embryonic stage of of a human life. Psalm 139 verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You go on and read to the uh, Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and you'll see over and over again this attack of, of the false, empty religions of the other nations and the utter foolishness of idolatry. Think about this from Jeremiah 10. Tell me this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Verse 12. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by His wisdom and stretched out the heavens by His understanding. You get on to the New Testament, and uh, as you read of the preaching of the apostles to fellow Jews, they didn't really bother covering this basic teaching, that was a given. The Jewish people had their scriptures, they understood that God was the creator. But it's very interesting, when the apostles go to preach to the non-Jewish people, to pagan people, to Gentile people... Uh, this fact of God being the creator becomes a part of the gospel presentation. So in Acts 14, when Paul turns up in Lystra, and they um, see a miracle and they assume that he and Barnabas are, are gods and they come to make sacrifices to them, Paul says this to them, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. You see, this is the God we're talking about, the God who made everything. Or in Acts 17, as it was read to us this evening, uh, uh, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. This is a foundational understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about God. And the Bible's teaching, too, is that God made it all out of nothing. Uh, He did not uh, start with material and craft something out of it. You can read some of the uh, old religions of the ancient Near East, and they talk about chopping up gods and making them into other things, and they create stuff out of stuff. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God created everything out of nothing. And if you like Latin, there it is there. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Ex nihilo? I, I don't know. Listen to Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Or John 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus as the pre-incarnate Word of God, it says this, Through Him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Also, uh, Scripture teaches that God created this world in a purposeful way. Uh, It wasn't that sort of God bumped into something and suddenly the creation sprang accidentally and, oh, what was that? No, God did it very intentionally, very purposefully. And it's shown over and over again in the opening chapter of Genesis, as you have this repeated refrain, it was good. No, God created with purpose, it has value, it is good. And what it does is is that rules out the denial of the physical world. Some people and some philosophies and religions see that matter is inherently evil. If it's physical, it's wrong. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Our human physical experience does not contaminate us uh, from knowing God. All those forms of self-denying asceticism that seems to treat our flesh as if it's the problem, according to the Bible, according to 1 Timothy, is the doctrine of demons. It's wrong. And also, not only is it purposeful, but the Bible says that all of creation reveals God's glory. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Or Romans 1, verse 18 to 20. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. You see, uh, if you... A student here today and you're studying science, I want to say you've got a great subject. To study in about anything in this world is a marvelous opportunity to glorify God, to uh, consider the universe that he has made, to see it as his handiwork, to see uh, how it reflects on the majesty and the beauty of God in every uh, massive fact of the billions of galaxies with billions of scars Uh, Stars, as you look at in a telescope, or whether you look down um, a, a tiny microscope or an electron microscope and see at the microscopic atomic level the order and beauty of what is there, it is an opportunity to glorify God as we see all that He has done and say, thank you, God. To glorify Him as we enjoy the world that He has made. Revelation 4, verse 11 makes this exact point, doesn't it? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory... And honor and power for you created all things. See, He's worthy of that because He created the whole thing. And isn't it an awesome world we live in? You know, swim down the around the Great Barrier Reef, ski down the Rockies, go for a walk in the Cairngorms. Look around you. Look at the view out from Leith. It's just a stunning, beautiful world, and it reflects of the glory and grandeur of God. But there's a second aspect to God as creator that you see in the Bible. And it's the next slide. That God is also the loving ruler of all things. Again, that's in Revelation 4 verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy to be worshipped and honoured and praised because, in fact, everything just is holding together right now because God has chosen to keep everything together. Now, here's the logic. God is the ruler over all because he made it all. It's as simple as that. He made it, and his, this, this rightfully establishes his rule over all of it. We owe him submission, honour, thanks, and glory. Do you know that? Every one of us here, Oh God, submission, honor, thanks, and we owe uh, to give Him praise and glory. Not simply because He's bigger than us and more powerful than us, of course that's true. Not simply because He's, he's uh, so marvelous and holy and good, which of course is that's true. But because of this fact, He created us. We are His creation. His very handiwork. He owns us. He provides for us. He sustains us. He rules us. The Bible says His rule is continual and ongoing. Uh, The world is not a natural machine. Uh, The God of the deist who has wound everything up and then gone off for a cruise somewhere and uh, is disinterested in the world that He has made... He is not far removed from this world. He's not disinterested. He's not remote. An absentee landlord. No, God continues to rule and supervise all things the Scriptures say. Listen to Job 12, verse 10. In his hand is the life of every creature. In his hand. And the breath of all mankind. Consider this. If you breathe another breath, it's because God has granted you the privilege to that breath. <laughs> if God should choose right now that you would stop breathing, that's it. You've got about three minutes, I think, for your brain to run out of oxygen. God controls every breath. He gives us the privilege to breathe or not. Psalm 145, verse 15 and 16 says this, The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says this, The sun is the radiance, speaking of Jesus, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. The very cosmos is being held together by the powerful word of the sun, the Bible says. Oh, not the Sun newspaper. They'd like to think they change things, don't they? They think they can control the government. Naughty, naughty. No, I mean the Sun, S-O-N. Jesus, the Sun. You know, this world only operates in a regular and consistent and measurable way because of this. God upholds it in a regular and consistent way. You know, we've consistently dropped apples to the floor, and we see, well, you know, pretty much 10 out of 10, it drops to the floor. And so we call it, we have a law, as if it stands on its own. No, it doesn't. That apple keeps dropping to the floor because God chooses when you let go of things, it'll drop to the floor. And God has chosen to consistently do that. That's why there's consistency in the cosmos. God is that actively involved with it all. His sovereign control over everything includes us, the Bible says. He rules over man. He's in complete sovereign control over us, even down to the decisions of our hearts and minds. Listen to these verses. If you've got a problem with this, you haven't got a problem with me, you've got a problem with the Bible. Look at this. Proverbs 12, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. That's quite a stunning verse, isn't it? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse, wherever he pleases. Or Psalm 139, verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, the psalmist says. The Bible teaches that his sovereign control has a loving, good purpose. Another point, that's great. The world that he made is a good world, a habitable place, and he did it for a reason. Uh, And that reason is only seen, the Bible says, ultimately in the coming of Jesus. The New Testament says that Jesus was not only the agent of creation, as the divine word in John 1, but he's the, the reason for it. Listen to Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him, for by... Uh, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. That's an amazing statement when you think about it, isn't it? What? what why is this world here? What's this all about? Well, this world was made by Jesus, the one we know as Jesus of Nazareth, who existed before the creation of the world. He made it. God made it through His Son. It was created by Him, and it was created for Him. This creation was made for Jesus. You were made for Jesus. God created the world for man, And the ultimate man for whom it was made and who now rules it is Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, there are lots of radically different alternatives out there, aren't there? Let's consider some of them. The one that's uh, most popular, I guess, is materialism or accidentalism. And this is a view of reality that stuff, matter, is all that exists. You know, stuff is eternal. It's always been there. And despite even the smallest child knowing that you find something, and you say, well, where did this come from? Who made this? No, so, you know, these clever people say, oh, no, this always existed. Right? But that's the view, isn't it? All there is is stuff. No God, no creator, therefore no ruler, And actually, it's just matter plus time plus chance. And here we are, wearing jumpers and coats and sitting on a pew in an electricity-lit building. Absolutely, totally random. Now, of course, the, the good thing about that, it makes me answerable to no one. Well, I can do whatever I want. There's no God, there's no maker, there's no ruler. Well, I can do whatever I want. But, of course, it's a terrible idea, isn't it? Because it makes the world and us completely meaningless. If we follow the logic of this to its ultimate point, there is no purpose, there is no point. Our life, your life, is utterly meaningless. If you're thinking about your life as a story, give up. It's random and pointless. That is where materialism takes you. See, once you have a maker, you're responsible, aren't you? You're responsible to your maker. Another alternative is mysticism. And uh, really, that views the the non-physical world, the spiritual world, as the real world. And the physical one that we see is inherently evil or even it's unreal. You know, if you're a Buddhist and you want to deal with problems, you know, if you're hungry, that's because you want food. Get rid of the desire for food. And you won't be hungry. There's the logic of Buddhism. Uh, Try to get to that place, lots of Eastern religions say, where you will uh, just sort of merge into uh, some eternal consciousness of nirvana and out of this bodily existence. And there's lots of New Age versions of that. There's even some versions in Christian science, I think. Well, that view, according to the Bible, is a demonic alternative because the Bible says creation is good. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 4 Verse four for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. God, it says in one Timothy six seventeen, is the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you have a perspective of God in that way? Why has God made this stunningly beautiful world with all the fabulous things we can enjoy? He has made it for our enjoyment. He is a good God. He knows how to give good gifts. And he's given it to us for our enjoyment. That is the Christian view that uh, enjoys and celebrates life and consecrates it with thanksgiving to God. Or there's the view of deism. That view that... uh, Creation is a machine that runs on without any involvement of God. It's the God of the philosophers, but it's not the God of the Bible. Um, this this view of God only sees God turning up when he dabbles his fingers into the machine and does a miracle. So it's only looking for God in the miracles. And there are some Christians who only see God at work when something miraculous happens. That's a sort of a pseudo deist position. But the Bible says this God knows when the sparrow falls. He knows the number of hairs on our head and the decreasing number of them. Uh, Yes, he parted the Red Sea, but it's interesting as you read the Exodus account, he causes a great wind to push the waters back so they they can cross on dry land. God is a God who uses the forces and realities of nature to achieve his purposes. God is actively involved in the everyday stuff of life. That's the picture the Bible has. He is active in all his creation. And this raises, of course, one big problem that instantly jumps to mind. It's the problem of evil. And when people raise the problem of evil with us, uh, the thing we have to see is, it's a great question. If they're asking the question about the problem of evil, it means that they're on side with us. It means that they have an expectation that this world should be good. And so they feel aggrieved when it's not. And of course, if you're just a materialist, an accidentalist, um, you have no good reason to think that the world should be any different. You know, if something bad and evil happens, well, don't complain. You're just an accident. You know, that's it. It's a dumb question if you believe that there is no God. It's all accidental. Secondly, if evil is... um, if it, if it is out of place, if we, if we have a view of the world that actually this is not the way the world should be, then it does raise the question, what are we going to do about it? What can be done about it? And at that point, that is a great question for us who understand the good news about Jesus because the message of the gospel is that God has done something about it. We haven't got all the answers to the problem of suffering, but we have the most profound answers that you'll find in any religion or philosophy that is out there. And it is the true answer. God has done something amazing about the problem of evil in sending His Son. So, this evening, I just want to close with this, that the the doctrine of creation is a fundamental doctrine that we've got to get in our heads I think that we've got to communicate as we talk about the gospel with people. The fact of creation establishes His relationship with the world, doesn't it? Because He is the all-powerful Creator uh, of all things, He's the ruler of all things. Do you see the logic? It's just unbreakable, isn't it? And therefore, He is worthy to receive all honor and glory and power. And because He is the loving ruler, we can expect that His purposes will be good and loving. Without the doctrine of creation, we cannot understand who God is or which God we might be talking about. Without the doctrine of creation, we can't understand why we owe him honor and glory and thanks. And so we really don't see how terrible our rebellion is. We will not understand sin if we've not understood God's rightful place to rule And without understanding the special place of man in creation, which we're going to look at next week, they will not understand how it prepares us for the man, Jesus Christ, the man who who will really rule the world and bring God's purposes to completion. Where have you come from? You were created by a loving and purposeful God. Does my life which seem out of control. Is it out of control? No, God is at work in your life. In fact, the fact that you are here this evening is an indication that God is at work in your life and he is drawing you to himself. My friends, it really is the best news on the planet, isn't it? Let's pray.